This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association. Welcome back. We've been hearing a lot lately about the opioid epidemic. Just last week, we saw some new numbers, very shocking. Two people a day die of opioid overdoses in this province alone. The rate of opioid deaths has almost quadrupled in the last 25 years, skyrocketing to 734 in 2015 from only 144 only in 1991. And that is from a report published by the Ontario Drug Policy Research Network. The good news is that there is an antidote. It's called Naloxone. It's a life-saving drug that's available at no cost to eligible patients through their Ontario pharmacy, and it is helping to save lives. So I am here right now with our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association, John Papasturgio. We are going to talk about this life-saving drug, about what it is and who needs it, because it's not necessarily what you think when it comes to Addiction. Before we talk to John, I'm going to give you the numbers to call. And of course, he will take all your pharmacy questions. Doesn't have to be about this in particular. The number is 416-360-0740. Toll free 1-866-744-740. John, welcome. Thanks for being here. It's great to be back, Libby. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, we kind of missed each other when I was away. Um, So this this is a real breakthrough, naloxone. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually not a new drug. It's been around for a long time. And I think you hit uh, the nail on the head then when, when you said we have a huge problem in Ontario. I mean, I, I started practicing pharmacy in 02, and, you know, it's, it's been a relatively short time frame, and I've seen the kind of number of opioid scripts going up. You could almost see kind of this problem manifesting in the, uh, you know, last 10 years or so, but it's gotten to the point now where people are dying, kids are dying, you know, it's uh, opioids are on the street, we have a huge fentanyl problem, uh, um, and it's not. This stuff's not all coming out of the pharmacies. Like fentanyl is being found in powder form, in ecstasy, and all this other stuff. So, um, we're fortunate enough there is an antidote. The problem is that you got to get it out there for it to work, and people have to know how to use it. Uh, um, it's not an oral medication. Unfortunately, it has to be given by injection. So, um, there is some training involved as well. So, uh, it's available in community pharmacies now. I spend a lot of time training patients on how to use it. And I think you you, you brought up a good point. Like, uh, who should have this? And that's the question I get all the time. Uh, I think there's a perception out there that it's only the street drug users that should have it or, or people that are using heroin or whatnot. No, no, this is a this is, uh, you know, something you can consider as an EpiPen. If you're on opioids, you should have a kid at home because you never know if you take too much or how you're going to react. Uh, yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about who that is, you know, and, and we often hear here on Fight Back from people who have a lot of problems with pain. And they take these drugs not because they're addicts, because they have chronic pain of various kinds or it's pain related to certain conditions. And uh, 
you can get hooked. You absolutely. And you can overdose. So give me an idea of, you know, who are we talking about So here? I'll give you a, a, a good example because this happened a few days ago in my pharmacy. I had a, a, a longtime customer of, my, a customer of mine, uh, you know, a, kind of a little old lady, and she came in, and she's been on opioids for a while, right? Always fills her prescriptions properly, never abuses them, right? And, you know, I thought, you know, she's on pretty high doses. Let me have a chat with her about naloxone and, and sending her home with a kit. And, you know, the first thing when I bring it up is they say, no, I don't need that. I don't abuse. And my, my, uh, my kind of explanation to her was it's not about abuse. It's very easy for you to be in pain a certain day and say, you know what, I'm going to take an extra, you know, uh, uh, dose today just to help with the pain. And then, you know what, did I take my morning dose? Oh, let me just, I, maybe I forgot to take my morning dose. Let me take another dose. All of a sudden, you've double dosed on your daily uh, medication. It's very easy for that person to run into problems, right? Patients with memory issues, uh, uh, patients that uh, are very active and, and, you know, they can't always remember if they took their doses. Uh, these patients are excellent candidates for this. And and the reality is once you get into a problem with an opioid and you're over it, you can die from it. So you it, it, you have to have that antidote there and nearby. Um, the way it's used is it's a, it comes in a kit. It's very simple to use, really. Uh, you you uh, think of it very similar to an EpiPen. You kind of just jab the dose into your, uh, into your thigh, right through the pants or whatnot, and that will give you enough time to get medical attention. The other question that comes up all the time is if I'm unconscious, how am I going to give it to myself, right? Right. So, I was just about yeah. to ask. So I spend more time training caregivers now and family members and actual patients because the reality is uh, if you get a toy, you may not be able to use it. I mean, you may sense that you've taken too much and, and, and uh, have an opportunity to use it, but the reality is if you're unconscious, those caregivers, those loved ones around you, they're going to have to be the ones administering it. So we spend a lot of time training those people, and they're actually eligible to pick it up as well. So if you're a caregiver of someone that's taking opioids, you can come into the, uh, into the pharmacy, show me your health card, I'll give you a kit. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's all, that's all you need? You don't need a prescription? Nothing else, just just your health card. And uh, I think the health minister was very clear. We want this stuff out out there in the public, and uh, um, it, there's not a lot of uh, you know hoops you got to jump through to get it. It's actually quite simple. And and will you train somebody coming in to get it? It's very important. That's part of the process, so that's part of the deal with pharmacy. Like, we're giving these out for free. We're ge- getting reimbursed, but the reason we're getting reimbursed is to offer the training. It's funny. I'm, I'm running a little research study right now, and we were getting patients' perceptions prior to getting their training of where they should inject the uh, naloxone. Oh, guess where, is, what, guess where they, they all think they should inject it. It's in, pretty... in the backside? No. no. Like Pulp Fiction, right in the heart. Oh, you know oh, that Pulp scene Fiction. in Pulp Fiction? Oh, right? God. So, yes. So <laughs> everyone's saying, do I just jam it into my heart? I'm like, no, not in your heart, right? So, uh, But that's what's out there, right? So they have that scene from Pulp Fiction, and I'm surprised how many people, it's the vast majority, think they inject it into their heart. So we're spending a lot of time training them on how to do it properly. It's very simple to use. The most important is there a thing video? Is, you know, a video would be a good yeah, idea. Yeah, there's videos on YouTube. I think the Ontario Pharmacists Association has a video on there as well on how to administer it. Uh, um, yeah, it, great idea, and I, I can send out a link. Obviously, yeah. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with John Papasturgio, our trusted contributor from the Ontario Pharmacists Association. We've been talking about opioids. We've been talking about the life-saving antidote, naloxone. Uh, And we're going to be talking about chronic pain and how 
to manage it. Lots of questions around all of this. Let's go uh, right to the phones. We've got Ursula in St. Catharines. Hi, Ursula. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? I'm great, thank you. You're on the air? We're listening. Thank you. Actually, what I was calling for a different um, description, if that's all right. Absolutely. Okay. I am on cortisone. I take 10 milligrams in the morning and half a pill at night, so 5 milligrams in the evening. And my, I know that it causes insomnia. And I was just wondering, is there anything that I can do that will help? Like I always wake up at least, you know, sometimes two, three times a night, sometimes only once. Is there anything I can do? Um, or yeah, there's a, you know, that's a good question, actually. So, um, you know, oral steroids are one of those medications that when you take chronically over a long period of time, they right. can cause quite a few side effects. Uh, insomnia is something that could happen. It's not one of the more common ones. When I think of long-term, you know, steroid use, I think about your bone density as you get older. Uh, right. it, it does increase your risk for fractures and, and things like that. But uh, many patients do report uh, insomnia as well. A couple of things you could do. I mean, um, do you find yourself, it's, this is happening regularly, like more than three times a week, or is it just once in a while? Well, I, I seem to go through stages where I'll sleep well, and I'll only wake up once a night. And, and then I'll go through, you know, a couple of weeks where it's interrupted every night, and I'll you know, get up two or three times a night. Okay, so there's a couple of things we could do. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the sleeping pills, but they do work for for certain patients, and they're they're very appropriate under certain situations. Generally, I leave that for sorry, even while you're on cortisol, absolutely, yeah, it's safe to use, yeah, for sure, uh, before bedtime. But before we get to that, why don't you have you tried any of the kind of over the counter herbal homeopathic products like uh, melatonin or valerian root? Those things can sometimes help regulate your sleep cycle a little bit before you. No, I haven't. So why? Why don't we start with that? Give give those a shot. You just buy them over the counter. Talk to your pharmacist. Okay. Give it give it about a week or two. If you find your sleep gets better with those products, then okay. we don't have to go on to the kind of the stronger benzos and some of these things that will help with sleep. That being said, getting a, a good night's rest is very very important. So if you're not sleeping and you're waking up frequently, there's nothing wrong with using a. Uh, a, a low dose of a sleeping pill as long as you're using it appropriately. And what I mean by appropriately is try not to use it more than two or three times a week because what happens as you start using it more frequently, you're going to need higher and higher doses. Right. Yes, I understand that. Yeah, and that's why I've kind of avoided, well, one, I didn't know I could take it with the cortisone, but but uh, I try not, I don't want to get on it too many medications. And No, yeah, I get that. And uh, you're not, the good thing is you're not on a huge dose of cortisone either. You're like kind of on a, uh, lower starting dose, and that's good. The lower amount of that drug that you could use, the better. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm on it now for life. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, and many patients are. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, I think that's my advice on this one. Okay, oh, yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I really appreciate your help. Oh, thank you. Thank okay. you very much. You're welcome. And you have a good day. Thanks, <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. 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 I'm going to give the numbers out again. You know, uh, sleeping is a huge issue for a lot of people, particularly Zoomers, and it can be affected by the other drugs that you're taking, can be affected by your eating habits. Uh, The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free, 1-866-744-740. We've been talking about pain 
we've been talking about opioids and the antidote for an opioid overdose, which can kill you. Uh, that's naloxone. Uh, you can get the kit for free at the pharmacy, but you have to learn how to use it. Yep. Doesn't sound that complicated. And we just had a caller uh, saying that she's on cortisone and that interrupts her sleep. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a couple of kind of common themes here. You know, as you get older, the number of medications you get on start to multiply. And then if you throw in the pain medications as well, it can get pretty complicated for our more senior patients. It's uh, something I try to deal with a lot uh, in the pharmacy. We've talked about the term on past shows, deprescribing and trying right. to get patients right. off medications. Two, two groups that it's not very easy to do is the opioids and the sleeping medications, right? That's why I'm very cautious when, you know, we start initiating patients on, on these drugs. You don't want to start at very high doses and you want to move up very slowly because the challenge is when the time comes to try to get them off, it's not as easy as you think. And sometimes it could take weaning them off a period of, you know, four, six, eight weeks, even months. And uh, I've had that happen in practice. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting, the weaning off. Uh, as I tell people, um, as I tell people, I was on opioids when I was being treated for cancer, and I was on quite a lot, uh, not for very long, but it was over the period of a week or something yeah. that, it, that he just said, you can't just go off these, and tapered it off, and it was no problem. And then I remember looking in the shoebox with the drugs, and I was shocked. Oh, yeah. At how much stuff there was in there. It was just scary. So imagine if you were on those same drugs for like years, right? The, right. The, the time to taper off would be would have been much, much longer. And it's not easy. People will get withdrawal, especially with the opioids, even, even you know, with relatively short courses. Okay. Let us go to Joanne in Port McNichol. Hello, Joanne. Hello. Um, I'm a health care provider, and um, I have a client who has been just um, uh, uh, prescribed Trulicity, which is an injectable drug that helps the pancreas produce more insulin. But he's having diarrhea, and I know that's a side effect of this medication, but I wonder, is it something that will go away, or will he be bothered by this? for as long as he's on this medication? Oh, it's a great question. Generally, the diarrhea starts to resolve itself with time. Your body, his body's going to have to adjust. Uh, it sometimes can be dose-related as well. I'm not sure if they started. They probably he's started. He's only on 0.75 Oh, yeah, they started him on a, a low, low, relatively do, low dose there, which is uh, fine. How long has he been on it for? He's only been on This is his second week. Oh, okay, yeah. Give it some more time. Generally, with... Whenever you you know you start a patient on a new medication, oral, injectable, whatever, we give it a you know at least a few weeks to see if some of these initial side effects will dissipate as the body starts to adjust kind of to the new uh, the new environment. And it can take a little bit of time. If the diarrhea persists, or if you're finding he's getting dehydrated, uh, uh, you know it's uh, it's probably a, a, you know a time to start thinking about discussion about changing the medications because there are other other options uh, kind of in this area as well. Okay. Um, he is on other oral medication, plus he's on uh, Atlantis insulin and Novorapid insulin as well. It's funny. They can't control him just on the insulin as, uh, alone because it, no, it sounds like it his diabetes has progressed. Cause generally so it's, it was just something new that they wanted to, wanted try, to try to see if we could get him off? Yeah, he he's, how, do you know how his A1C is at all? Did, have they ever told, well, like, the last time it was 94 
five. Yeah, still pretty high. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things you could do here. I mean, I'm a proponent of if you can get patients on insulin, if they're diabetic, you don't really need everything else. Let's get them on the right dose of insulin, get them under control, get that A1C uh, under control because it's still quite high. But what is what is under control? You want to be under seven for sure. So an A1C is a measure of uh, your your blood sugar is over a kind of a three-month period. So how much sugar is attached to your hemoglobin? So it's a, it's a good indicator of how you've been doing with your diabetes over a broader period of time, whereas a blood sugar tells you what your sugar is at that exact moment, right? right. But it could change from, you know, minute to minute. So, you know, hearing this situation here, to be honest with you, I'd love to see this patient get on a right dose of insulin, get that A1C down. I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to avoid, like, uh, moving them forward quickly. But that A1C is still high. Let's see how the diarrhea goes over the, the next couple of weeks. If it doesn't get better, my recommendation would be get them off that, get them on a better dose of insulin, and let's get the diabetes under control. Yeah, the other issue is that he's compromised, you know, physically. So the diarrhea is really uh, very bothersome Absolutely. because he has um, some physical limitations. Yeah, and it's a really so becomes really tough on the caregivers. Accidentally, if yeah. he has an accident, it's almost impossible for him to clean it up. You know he what? lives alone. We've yeah. got we've got options for diabetes, many options. If it's becoming a huge problem, I wouldn't even wait it out. I'd let the doctor know, you know what, this is Yeah, a, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, let's get him off it. I mean, I my my feeling is up the dose of insulin. Let's get him under control and stop playing around with yeah. all these other drugs. Okay. That's my advice. That sounds Yeah. Okay, thank you Joanne no for your okay, call. Bye-bye. Um I guess it's one thing we don't always think about is that, okay, uh, it affects the patient one way, but what about the people taking care of the patients? Uh, Wow, yeah. Yeah, caregiver burden is, I see it a lot in practice too. You have these family members that are just exhausted from, you know, dealing with their loved ones. And you get a situation like this where especially if the patient can't get out of bed, they're soiling themselves. It's a, it's a tough, in, you know, situation to be in. In that situation, I would take them off the medication. Let's get them on something else. Okay. I mean, uh, doctors, I guess, are hesitant to up a dose of insulin. Um, you know, they, they, you, it's something we call psychological insulin resistance. It affects, uh, it affects patients because no one wants to inject themselves, right? So they, yeah. they'll say, hey, John, give me every oral medication. I don't care. I don't want to inject myself. And then the way it, it affects the, the prescribers, the physicians, the pharmacists is there's a lot of training involved in insulin. So you got to make sure the patients understand how to use it because if they start using too much, that's just as dangerous. And there's this fear of hypoglycemia with insulin. And I think that fear is a little bit overrated. It's especially in seniors. We've, we, 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 we're afraid that if they use too much or, or their situation changes, being very low with your blood sugar is actually very dangerous as well because that's when they have their falls and they you know break hips and everything else. So I, I get where, why physicians are cautious, but I find the benefits of getting these patients under control outweigh the risks of hypoglycemia. I mean, it's... Uh really shocking the numbers of people who are even walking around with diabetes and don't even know they have it. And this number is going to get bigger and bigger. Like, I mean, they're projecting the number of diabetics is going to skyrocket over the next 10 years. But you're absolutely right. Um, Because it is very uh, early on, diabetes is very inert. I mean, you could get some symptoms, but generally your sugars are high and you probably don't even know. You might be a little bit extra thirsty once in a while. But um, yeah, it is a problem. 
Uh, you know, we do offer screening for diabetes in community pharmacies. If you're concerned about it, go in. There's something called the Can Risk Score. Uh, you can sit with your pharmacist. They'll run through a few questions with you, and they'll tell you what your diabetes risk is. And it can, if it's high, we could get you tested. Uh huh. And uh, that A1C is that that's part of a regular screening that you might do with your doctor. Correct? Absolutely. In some pharmacies, I actually offer it in my pharmacy. If you come in, you could get an A1C done. It's pretty simple. Uh, it's a point of care device. Now we'll tell you in five minutes what your A1C is. Really. Not every pharmacy, though, but mine. If you're on the Danforth, come in and visit me. Yeah, okay, that's you. that's interesting because um, I, I just had a bunch of blood work done, and that was yeah, it's one, one of the of routine. The, one of them, but, you know, I was in a lab, but they did a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, just, even with that, patients with diabetes, the results are pretty staggering. Like 70% of them haven't had an A1C in the past year. I find that amazing. Like you have diabetes, but you're not checking your A1C. You don't really – you're kind of treating the condition blind. Uh, it's important to get that done. Uh, so how often? At least once a year for patients with diabetes. If you don't have diabetes, you can get it, you know, every few years. But uh, if you're at high risk, once a year for sure you should, you should check. All of these things, before we go, we don't have very much time left. So we, we've often talked about people who are on multiple medications. So I guess that complicates – Everything it complicates everything because of not only because of administration and adherence because it gets confusing for the patient, but also because of potential drug interactions and all the problems therapeutically that could arise. Once you start going on all these drugs, we we have a good understanding how how they interact, but you start throwing things together and multiple medications, it's not always that easy. And then we talk a lot about pharmacogenomics, right? You yep. throw that in, everyone acts based on their genetics, they respond differently too, so it could get quite complicated. Okay, John, that is all the time we have for our segment for this week. Uh, anything you want to leave us with? No, just if you need a naloxone kit, let, let's reiterate that message. It's available in community pharmacies. They should all have them. Go into your pharmacy, ask for one. And it's not only for those kind of drug abusers. If you're on opioids, just a regular kind of little old lady that has some opioids at home, you should have a kit. So go in and get one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.